and Aisho-rich Mwadra Kaji visits a Bakord Hishtin to practice his Daisha in a Kerning Bay. He will soon be a Tauthier in Burdoth, or Ardoth, whatever. Githerin. Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead Thombo dealing a superficial head wound unless our advantage fails to beat his armor or some damn thing. This week, John and I are reading Sky Realms of Joe Rude, and I don't think I've ever seen John this angry before. How you doing? <laughs> so Sky, Sky Realms of Joe Rune is a uh, independently published game from 1986. Uh, I think it may even be earlier than that. Yeah, I think that that's the printing we're reading, and that it was actually from around 83, yeah, somewhere, somewhere around like there. That. Now, that's that's kind of the Old West of gaming. Like, if you think about the games that were around in the in 1983, there aren't actually all that many. Well, at that point, no one had really gotten uh, sort of the gaming systems down to the science that they do nowadays. Uh, when games come out now, they're refining on everything that's come before, but a game that came out in 83 is pretty much just winging it. Like, you look at your selection of three different types of dice that you can roll and go, well, let's base it on one of these. To give you an idea of how old this game is, there's instructions on how to use D20s in it. And it, it that's because D20s weren't really around. They were introduced at Gen Con no, in 19... D10s. D10s were introduced at Gen Con in 1980 or so. So this book has D10s and uses D10s, but it has to have instructions for how to use D20s to simulate D10s, or D6s to simulate D10s, or how to use D20s that have 10 facings using varying number or colors on each side. Yeah, it's a D20 with two different colors, and it's one to nine on either color, and then you roll... And decide which color is going to be a tens and which is the ones. And you roll two d twenties to roll for a d one hundred. It's uh, it's sort of odd. They, uh, I mean, yeah, it was old enough that they're not going to have the d tens there to roll for the d one hundred or anything like that. But as a modern gamer, going back and looking at the fact that they're talking about these weird dice that you would just never see nowadays, as if that was something you would have. It'd be like if a modern game nowadays was like, get your D16 with two halves of three different colors. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? If you're a nerd like us and you're used to having your little container of polyhedral dice with your three D6 and your D4, D8, D10, D12, and a D20, then you're probably thinking these have been around for a long time. And and with almost all of them, you're right. Uh, all of the other dice were have been around since Egypt. Uh, since Egyptian times, they found they found uh, ancient historical examples of D20s and D12s that were actually used for gaming. Um, yeah, man. Them Egyptians were fucking nerds. Oh, yeah. Completely nerds. Uh, th- that's because every die in your basic polyhedral set but the D10 is based on one of the golden ratios. It's it's a, it's a, uh, a straight polyhedron, uh, equal facings on each side. To get a 10-sided die that makes any kind of sense, you got to make some nonsense using interlocking triangles that form kind of a... A weird double disky thing, and so D10s were introduced late. They were introduced in 1980, and now we've all <laughs> that, gotten... is, that is the new science of gaming is the D10. Yeah, it is. Uh, of course, there's also shit like D5s and D7s and that sort of thing out there. And but uh, but for the most part, you never see those. D10 is 
kind of taken root. Their whole game's based entirely around D10s. Oh yeah, well I mean when you have something like the one of the largest uh, gaming franchises in White Wolf that is exclusively D10 based, it's hard to imagine a time when everyone was like, what the fuck is a 10-sided die? Yeah, this thing is impossible. So that's why this book's got all these instructions about how to use fake D10s made out of D20s. I actually have one, uh, because I have the old Middle Earth role-playing game. Ooh. It's out in the garage, and uh, that used D10s that were double, they were just uh, double printed onto D20s. That's good. So that's another game that's that old. Uh, Merp, as it was known, is from around 1980 or so. So... And the reason we have spent five minutes talking about D10s is because that's not getting into the stupid, horrible bullshit that is the Sky Realms of Joe Rune. Alright, so Sky Realms of Joe Rune is... Uh, y- you probably are familiar with that kind of Barsoom-style John Carter of Mars fantasy world. That's like, it's Earth, but it's another planet, and it's in the distant future, but in the distant future, technology has receded such that we are as wild men. Yeah, so it... <laughs> It basically plays out as a fantasy setting with random bits of high-tech. So it'll be like, what do you do? Oh, I run around, and I've got a leather jerkin on, and I have a sword, and I ride a horse, and then randomly someone shoots at me with a laser pistol, and I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And and this is... It's its own trope. There's a whole kind of element of this kind of fantasy. The fantasy that's set so far in the future that science has become magic, but there's also magic, so don't worry if there's magic. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's the World War Four trope of, yeah. we had some ridiculous war, and then everything got fucked up, and there's still pockets of rubble with high-tech in it, but for the most part, we're all scavengers and yeah. farmers and whatnot. So the book is basically Thundar the Barbarian with a different planet twist. Yay! That's what it is. There's a nuclear the mock. <laughs> Reference. Man, you know what's what's horrible is I associate that word now with Joe Rune now that you've said it, and I kind of hate Ookla the mock. But Ookla the mock is great. No, nope, not anymore. <laughs> he's just a Wookie. He's just <laughs> he, he, he's just a Wookie with a different name. Fuck uh, that guy. Wait, do you hate Wookies now too? Yep. Now I hate Wookies. But <laughs> I hate sci-fi as an entire genre now. Also fantasy, because this is one of those mixes. Okay, so to get through the basics, this is a game where humans... It's set in the year, like, 5600 or some damn thing. And uh, this is a game where humans have evolved into a couple different things. So you've got humans, which are still called humans, unless it's an alien from the planet, in which case they're called humans, because that's what aliens call humans. Humans. I guess they can't figure out how wise work. Yeah. Do they say genuine is genuine? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Genuine. <laughs> no, it's genuine. <laughs> Ludicrous. Luda! So, uh, that's just another alien trope, is that they say human is human. And sure enough, there it is in this book. Although, God, maybe this is the first time that's ever happened. This book's old. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. the Ferengi stole it from them. Yeah, the Ferengi stole that shit from Sky Realms of Jorun. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, given the mass wild popularity of these Sky Realms of Jorun. There's a little bit of popularity for this game, to be honest. When I was doing my research for it, I found that there are a number of people that have attempted to make conversions of it into playable systems. Oh, uh, spoiler alert, this my... game is not playable. When I was doing my research for this game, I found out that this game is balls and fuck you. <laughs> So humans have evolved into three different groups of humans. You've got humans, you've, you've got Muadra, which are little humans, and you've got Bakord, which are 
big humans. Yeah, well, but the, but the the Muadra, the little humans are magic. Oh yeah, because as you get smaller, you lose all the non magiciness that was making up most of your bulk. Did you know that most humans are sixty percent water and twenty percent anti magic? Huh. That's that's how this works. And so uh, as you get smaller, you lose all that anti magic. And you become a Muadra who can use the spells in this game called Daisha, which they power with Aisho, and uh. <laughs> we'll get into that. And then there's Bakord, and Bakord are big humans. They're basically like Shadowrun ogres. They're just, what are you, I'm a bigger human. I'm, it's like, uh, it's like being a barbarian in EverQuest. Yeah, yeah bringing yeah. it back to bring EverQuest. Back to EverQuest. Or uh, perhaps it's kind of like being a Rigelian in Prime Directive. It is exactly like being a Rigelian in Prime Directive in that it is some bullshit. <laughs> okay. So those are your three basic grace choices. Now, from what I understand, if you buy the next book in the series from this, you get a whole bunch more races. You get, but they are in the standard fantasy trope of human plus some animal, even yeah. though it's on some other planet. So you got wolf dudes and frog dudes and cougar yeah. dudes. The which... entire background of this was there was some scientist before the great war between the natives and the humans on this alien world, and he decided that. I don't know why, but that these native species from Earth wouldn't survive here on Jorun unless he turned them into half-human, half-them. So he made them. He decided to become fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I, I like to think that it's because he had a suggestion from his, like, Tumblr forum fandom. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey guys, uh, I've got all these wolves and cougars and stuff. What should I do with them? Make them furries! Oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah. And then give them names that make no sense and have no context, because get ready for a lot of that. If you've ever read complaints about fantasy sci-fi type novels that replace regular words for things with fantasy words just to make the book seem more fantastical, uh, that 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 trope originated in Sky Realms of Jorun. <laughs> where... It's it's just lazy writing yeah. of instead of doing world building that makes your world interesting because the world is interesting. It's my world building consists of making it so that thieves are actually called Getharin. Yeah, and fighters are called Condridge. Yeah. And wizards are called wizards. <laughs> oh no, they're, they're Daisha masters or something, but. They're, they're Ka, Ka, Kaji? Kaji, Kaji, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alright, so, yeah, there's a lot of that. This book is completely full of, of the, you know, don't call him a fighter, call him a Condridge. Why? Because he's a Condridge. What's that word originate from? It doesn't sound like anything. Yeah, if no, there was it's a... just fantasy, make em up, grab Scrabble tiles, name a thing. Type. Yeah, if there was a sword called a Condry, and then yeah. they're like, and then fighters are known as Condries because they typically use this sword in their battles, I'd go, okay, I don't hate you, but they didn't do that, so I hate them. There's also a number of occurrences throughout the book where Condridge is spelled Crondage. <laughs> Which led me to think that maybe there's two things. Like, there's also a race, or a, a group of uh, people who are Crondage, as opposed to the Condridge. Maybe they're mortal enemies. But no, it's just the book has 80s editing. <laughs> nah, man, just some humans are into Crondage. <laughs> yeah, I'm way into Crondage. <laughs> I go to a Crondage dungeon. I'm into Aisho and Daisha torture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, get that color rating, girl. Put those clothespins on my orbs. <laughs> Oh, God, you don't even know what we're talking about, but that's okay, neither do we. All right, so game's got, what, four stat blocks. Each one of them's got three stats in it. You do them by rolling three D6 and then assigning them however you want and then rolling an extra D6 and then putting that D6 into one of those three. So you roll four extra D6 and then those go out into the four different categories. And, John, what are the four categories? Okay, so you well, instead of it being split like you'd normally see in a White Wolf or anything like that, uh, it doesn't go like, 
These are your all of your physicals is one group, all of your mentals is another. They sort of split between them. Mm. So you'll have something like uh, strength and perception and social as a group. Uh, because for each group, you're rolling 3d6 per stat in that group. So you'll roll 3d6 three times and then decide how that uh, grouping wants to be placed. Instead of it being like you roll straight down a line like old D&D or anything like that, you'll have three rolls to try and pick something. So if you're trying to be a fighter, you'll get three rolls to try and get a good one for each of your physical stats and so on. Right. And you can add a d6 to one of those three stats. In well, each you, add block. A, you get a d6 of just bonus points. Oh, okay. So the points you get to spread out. Yeah, okay. So if you roll sense. a d6 and you All get right. a three, you could put one into each stat in that group. Now, when the book first came out, one of those groups was just one stat, and that yeah. stat was called Learn. Now, for all the stats, he used the old D&D 3D6, uh, ranges between 3 and 18, that that whole deal. We're all used to that. Learn, you roll a D6, and you add 7 to it. So it's a range between 8 and 13, and it's what it sounds like. It's called Learn, and it's your chance to go up in levels. Yeah, instead of XP being something that you actually just gain for, like, you killed a dude, you get XP, or in a more storyteller-type system of... Grats, you participated in the story. Here's some XP for the end of the day. It's on an in-game time system. You get uh, a chance to get XP every week in-game. So a week goes by, and let's say you used your fast talk skill, and you got into a fight and used sword. Got some meteorology in there, too. Yeah, you also decided you wanted to know what the barometric pressure was on Joe Rune. So, at that point, anytime you use a skill during a game time week, you put a check mark next to it, and at the end of the in-game week, you roll and try to get under your learn score, and if you do, you get a point, and then when you get eight points, you can go up one level in that skill. Right. So... Around 1985 or so, the second Final Fantasy game came out for the Nintendo. I'm not talking about Final Fantasy II for the Super Nintendo, which is what a lot of you are thinking of. I'm talking about Final Fantasy II. Just two. It was real. It was not a very good game, to be honest. But uh, but it used that same system. It basically, it had a hidden chance for your character. Like, if I swing an axe, you have a hidden chance for your axe skill to go up by one. So, I don't know if maybe there was some connection there, but but that's basically what we're talking about. The kind of... Each one of your skills, when you use it, you you add it to a system that gives you a chance for that skill to go up in level. Now, John has been especially hateful of this. <laughs> I think it's all right, because I'm used to abstracting game time, but the concept that John's been putting forward is that uh, well, that means that every player is going to try to use all their skills all the time, and you're never allowed to stop the game, right? This is this is the problem I have, yeah. is normally it would be Jeff who's the one that's all about min-maxing and trying to get the most out of your shit if there's any possible benefit. But when I read this, I look at it and go... If your DM ever says, so you guys travel to this other town, it takes about a week. During that week, you don't get any XP, and that is that is a lost opportunity for you as a player. Because if you get to that town and he's like, great, the adventure takes place here and it's two days. You're like, oh, you cock, I can't get any XP then, and I spent a week doing nothing. So anytime the DM says, you guys travel for a week, 
every player goes, alright, during that week, let me tell you exactly what I did to use every single one of my skills. I want to know the history of the location we're traveling through, the lore of the location we're traveling through, the weather, the magic weather. I'd like to fast talk the entire time we're walking, and I'm going to do that in six different languages. I'd like to train this random animal, and then after I train that animal, I'll talk to that animal in that animal's language, and then I'll hit that animal <laughs> it's with pissed my... off until <laughs> it's angry, and then I'll soothe that animal, and then I'll kill that animal with my sword, and then I'll skin that animal, and then I'll eat that animal. Oh my god! I will sharpen the sword that I used to kill that animal. Uh. So, so yeah, basically the concept is of if there's a chance for your skill to go up, that means that as a gamer, you damn well need to, you know you need to take that chance. Yeah, and especially because it's one-eighth of a point. Which yeah. means, at best, and remember, you can fail your learn roll, so you won't even get a point. A week goes by, you get one roll per week per skill, so you might have killed, like, a hundred million dudes in a week with your sword, but hey, you rolled a 17, so sorry, fuck you, you don't get a point in sword. So to roll your learn skill, you roll a d6, and you add 7, and that gives you a number between 8 and 13. To make a learn check, you roll 3d6, and have to roll under whatever you rolled. Mm -hmm. Which means that if your character rolls a 1 on that initial d6 for learn, you're the dumbest person in the universe, and you'll never learn anything ever. Yeah. That's, that's, what you, that's effectively what happened to you, because you have a less than average chance to roll under your uh, your stat and get that or, or and succeed at learning things. Now eventually during the errata, the errata in this game is not like regular game errata. Normally it's like, oh, we accidentally spelled the word team wrong on this page or oops, with this does 1d6 damage and not 1d4. Yeah. This is, oh shit, we forgot to put some stats in this game. <laughs> and so, forgot how to make stats work properly. So so they add two stats because they realized there was no perception of any kind in the game. So learn, which used to be in its own category, gains spot and listen. Yep, you get essentially two skills are now stats. Yeah, they just move two stats, or two skills into stats, and they use the same roll, a d6 plus 7, and uh, then they add another d6 of floating free stat bonus dice into there, so that means that if you roll that one on your learn, you can kind of fix it. Yeah, well before uh, before the errata, you could cannibalize one of the d6 rolls from your other groups of stats and throw it into learn. So if you're rolling for group 2 that's got, like, your constitution and agility and whatever the fuck, you can go, you know what, I rolled pretty well for that group, I'll roll my extra die, put it into learn instead of putting it into this group. Because yeah. I don't want to be incapable of gaining XP. Now, we're used to how Dungeons & Dragons treats stats that use this 3d6 roll system. Like, uh, if you get a, a strength of 15, we kind of have a concept of what that is. You're stronger than average, not that strong, it doesn't really matter, you just have a strength of 15. How do you do things? You roll a d20. Did you roll under a 15? Yay, you succeed at whatever that strength check was. Now, this game doesn't have d20s, it, so instead, you roll 3d6 and see if you get under your stat. And what that means is that 18 is as good as you ever need to be. And they didn't really do that in the initial game. Because if you would, say, rolled an 18 and then got your extra point roll, you could go, you know what, F it, I've got a 23 strength. Fuck you. Which doesn't do anything. Well, it, it, it modifies your damage yeah. calculations and junk, which are insane. The combat in this game is insane. Uh, it's it's chart combat, <laughs> and we've talked about the difference between basically charts and rolling before. But this is a lot of check this chart to see what die to roll. Check this chart to see what the effect of that die did. It'll uh, lead you to this chart, which tells you how much damage you did, where you roll a die to see what chart you go to to check next. Yeah. So. uh you could get some bonuses, and uh, you might have failed some things, even if you were above an 18 before. 
in the errata, they actually changed it so that there was a hard cap oh, yeah, of you... 18, and you couldn't put bonus points in anything if you had rolled a 15 or better. Right, so you're either naturally amazing or you're na- or you're unnaturally average. Those are your two choices. You can you have to roll an 18 to have an 18. Yeah. You never will progress that way because uh they did have a way for you to gain stats, which is like how you gain skills. In the oh, if you use this, you can gain extra stats. And however, it's based again on in-game time. But it's like a once-a-year chance. So if you go, my character is a total health nut. He's all about, you know, eating right. He works out all the time. He's, you know, at the gym every day. Girl, or, look at that body. Or, you know, whatever they call it on Joe Rune. He goes to the girlaf yeah. and lifts hungertoves. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's getting buff. He's strong as a thrombo. Yeah, and so at the end of one year... Of in-game time, you can try to roll, and if you fail that roll, you don't get any stronger. Which means you could work out every day for five years and still have a strength of, like, eight. Right. This is one of those things where John is ultra mad about that. I'm super angry at this game! And, And, you know, I understand. To me, that's kind of historical precedent. It took... Game designers a long time to figure out that no one gives a shit about actual game time. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that your character got a year older, because he's still just going to go in a dungeon and go on an adventure. But if you look at old role-playing games, your Merp, your your early editions of Dungeons & Dragons, there's all this stuff that happens on a long time scale that doesn't matter. Like, uh, Paladins. Paladins get war horses. Yeah. If your Paladin in 2nd edition D&D loses his war horse, he can call for another war horse in a year and a day. Yep. A year and a day, which is perfect game time. Because imagine <laughs> imagine asking your DM every time you start your game how many days it's been so you can track down that 366 you started with. Oh, and you also have to ask him how long a year is on whatever planet you're on. <sighs> yeah, it, it, it falls into this unfortunate idea of trying to get a little too simulation-y. Yeah. Uh... You know, oh, well, obviously, you wouldn't just get extra skill points and all these things you wouldn't use just because you went up a level. There's no such thing as levels in real life. You get better at using a skill by using that skill. Yeah. So we'll make it based on that, and it'll be in game time, because otherwise, maybe, you you know, your adventure goes on for a day, and you, it was only four hours of game time, but you had to give XP out. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You didn't use anything. But no one gives a fuck about your verisimilitude. Yeah, verisimilitude is basically a bad word in, in our role-playing game circles. <laughs> I've got no problem with the concept of trying to create a game that you kind of get absorbed into and, and the mechanics get out of your way instead of being the game. You know, the kind of thing where it's... Like when you're playing really freeform Exalted or White Wolf type games and it's the, the ST isn't really trying that hard with the exact difficulties and he's just saying, I don't know, roll your strength. Uh, six, good enough, whatever, that happens. Then you're, you're really getting into that cooperative storytelling and the mechanics have gotten out of your way. This game tries to get the mechanics out of your way. It tries to say, your character gets uh, stronger at a natural rate. Your character gets better at swords at a natural rate. And it just but, does, it does it wrong. Well, yeah, it's, it's trying to show progression in a real world way. And you would think, okay, this is trying to get the mechanics out of the way. But all it does is make, it makes any player that wants to be better at whatever 
try to game the system for it. I mean, I went with an extreme example with the your uh, game master, or in this game, your Sholari. Sholari. Your Sholari says that you travel for a week and nothing happens, and that's going to piss you off and you want to do whatever. But if you're a player and, let's say, you're trying to make a social guy, okay, I really want to be able to get, you know, my fast talk, I want to get my etiquette up, I want to do this and that, I've got certain skills I want to be able to use... And if it's taking a week of in-game time before you can even attempt to do that, any time that the uh, Shalari decides that you don't get to have a chance to roll at that means you don't get to do what you want to do with your player, your character, better. So, you know, if he doesn't throw any combat at you, the guy who's rolled a Bocord Condrige is going to want to use his sword on stuff. But if you never get thrown into a combat situation, even if you would normally be getting XP in another game and you'd go up a level and you'd be better at it, now you'll just never be better. You you never get to see your your character become good at anything, is no, the problem. absolutely not. I, a lot of older role-playing games are built around this notion that you're going to be playing this character for like 30 years, 4 hours a night or something. You, we saw this, in, again, in Old Dungeons & Dragons, like your AD&Ds and so on, where the XP calculations are stupid, and it, it's it's kind of ridiculous to assume that you're, you're going to be willing to play the game that long. And you should have a nice, smooth progression of how quickly you level up. One of the best things you can do in D&D is throw every single mention of XP out the window and just say, oh, your characters gain a level every three fights. Well, yeah, and one of the other things with uh, D&D that a lot of groups do is a lot of groups don't start at level one. Because you look at level one and you go, I'm awful, I want to start where I'm good. And with this game, not having a level, you can't, you don't get that automatic understanding of, there are 20 levels, level one is shit, and, you know, level 10 is being pretty good, and level 20 is I'm amazing. Here it's just, I'm a guy and I made a guy and I've got some points and things, I don't really understand what that means. So you might make a character and go, okay, well, you know, I'm not that great at using a bow right now, but I really want my character's arc to be he becomes this amazing archer. The problem is, there's a very good chance that that will just not ever happen in-game. Yeah, Or if absolutely. it does, it's, alright, so 30 years later, I'm really good at archery now! Yeah. Uh, it, this game starts all your characters at level 20, or I'm sorry, at the age of 20, yeah. and has a really fun sentence in there that says that most characters are probably potential Tauthiers uh, traveling to Ardoth in Birdoth <laughs> so that they can become citizens. That's I guess that's the, game, the name of the game, is that your character is trying to become a citizen of an important town, um, and to do so, they start someplace in the middle of the dust of, of this alien desert planet, and they have to walk to the important town and then prove themselves as citizens. Yeah, so, you know, you have your, your general fantasy, like, what is this? I'm in a small village, we have shitty huts, you know, we have subsistence farming, and maybe there's a blacksmith. Yeah. And at 20 years old, some rite of passage thing to become a citizen of whatever the human nation is. Yeah, so you go off. Yeah, you're like, alright, I'm in Birdoth, I want to be a citizen... And I guess I'll go to Ardoth and be a Talthier, and they'll say I need to go do some trials or some bullshit. But it it's just sort of a, a plot hook yeah, that the game's hook. like, yeah. this is a way to get people together. Maybe you meet on the road, maybe you meet in Ardoth or whatever, uh, but it's a way to go, 
okay, if your players don't want to start out knowing each other, then they can be travel companions or sent on the same task to be a citizen, whatever. Uh, it gives you an easy hook into the game. I think one of my favorite little jokes in this book during character creation is a section on uh, naming your character. And it says, it says uh, go beyond Dick and Jane. There is no spot on Joe Rune. <laughs> that's the that's the instructions for how to pick your name. Uh, the characters that you get names for in this book are named things like Ishtek and Halfdian, uh, Halfdian, and Rolik. So basically, it just means again Scrabble tiles. Pick some random crap out. Make a final or make a fantasy sounding name and go go to town. Yeah, get get some apostrophes in there if you can at all yeah. possibly. Oh, do absolutely. So. This is an apostrophe heavy game. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, now combat. Combat is insane and impossible, and I'm going to try and boil it down. Here we go. Which is good, because I read the combat section, and I, I cannot explain it. I have no idea how it works. I read it once about half an hour ago. Here comes an amazing display of how to do combat in this game. <laughs> First, whoever you're fighting with, roll a d20, and they're also going to roll a d20. Uh, that's going to be your advantage roll. Your advantage is your chance to do anything during this round of combat. If you roll a 1 through a 6, you can't do anything this round of combat. You can't defend, you can't attack, you just kind of pee your pants. If you roll a 6 through a 10, I guess that first one was supposed to be a 1 through 5. If you roll a 6 through a 10, you can defend yourself, but you can't make any kind of swings at your opponent. Uh, and he may be able to attack you, but at least you can try and defend yourself. If you roll an 11 through a 15, you can make some rudimentary attacks, but not defend yourself. If you roll a 16 through a 20, you can attack and defend yourself and evade and be awesome. The other guy is going to be doing the same thing. He rolls to either piss himself or take some swings at you <laughs> or what have you. There are a crazy number of modifiers to these. Most of them are modifiers to both sides. Like if you have uh, your opponent's surprised, and then you get plus five to your advantage roll and he gets minus five to his advantage roll. And the advantage, uh, it also indicates who's going to go first. Yes, so it's, so it's initiative as well. And so if you tie on advantage... Then it goes down to a stat off. Yeah. No, no, actually, it's a D6. Oh, D6 and then a stat off. Yes, yeah. You roll a D6, each roll a D6, and whoever gets the higher number goes first. Okay, once you've established that you're actually able to attack somebody, that you've rolled a, with modifiers that you've rolled an 11 or higher on your initial advantage D20 roll, now you roll to swing your weapon. You have a weapon skill. Uh, those range between 0 and about 10, and uh, that will modify your advantage dice and also your chance to hit. Your chance to hit has nothing to do with your opponent. If you have a weapon skill of 5 in broadsword, then you hit with a broadsword on a roll of 9 or higher. Uh, your opponent may have a roll of, or a, a, a weapon skill roll of 5 for his Thike, which is an alien weapon. Why not? Uh, it's a spiky gauntlet. Um, if he has that same roll, then he just defends on a 9. So you roll to see if you successfully attack, and he rolls to see if he successfully defends. And if uh, he fails to defend and you succeed to hit, then you hit him. Okay, great, now you've hit him. What next? Well, now you have to see whether or not your hit penetrated his armor. So let's head on down to the armor chart, where you're going to roll 2d6, add a stat modifier for if you are a Bokord, because they are stronger. Uh, also add any any uh, weapon advantage bonuses that you have. And the uh, the type of attack you did. The Was type of attack you did. a swing or a lunge? Overhand swing or a feint. Uh, and also the type of armor he is wearing. Uh, so you're going to... Compare on a big old chart of those to see whether or not you failed to penetrate or succeeded to penetrate armor. 
if you succeeded to penetrate armor, now you're going to go to see what kind of wound you inflicted. This game doesn't have wound numbers, although they do occur in the sense that your constitution gets lowered as you get attacked. Instead, you check on a chart of what type of wound you suffered to which type of, or which body part you suffered an attack. Once you're hit and it has penetrated armor, you roll to see which part of the body it hit. It can hit arms or legs or head or body. Actually, you have to roll to see where you're going to hit first oh. because it's harder to hit certain areas. Right, right. So Sorry. if you randomly roll and you're like, oh, I'm hitting the head. Well, too bad. It's harder for you to hit now. Yep. Okay. So if you hit any of those places, you can inflict a superficial, minor, major, critical, or fatal wound. Uh, each one of those wounds does something different depending on which part of the body it hits. For example, a superficial wound to the head could potentially, on a 1 in 6 chance, knock your unconscious opponent for d20 seconds. Whee! Okay. A lot of the chances in there are things like death or check some other chance in there, because a lot of them are the same. Uh, so that's how... Di- that's combat in a nutshell, right there. So uh, There's uh, three different charts yeah. and two there different are, roll types. There are so many chances in the combat for your attack to miss. Like, first you have a chance to just not attack at all. Second, you have a chance that your attack misses. Third, you have a chance that you didn't penetrate their armor. Fourth, you have a chance that the wound you inflicted doesn't really matter. Oh, also fifth, there's a chance that even if you hit, he defends. Oh, yes, there's a chance he defends. So there's five chances for your attack to not hit, which means that this is a game of swinging at the other guy. Oh, yeah, this is is a whole lot of just whiffing. You're taking your sword and just spinning around in midair trying to hit a thing, and so is the other guy, and nobody's connecting with anything. There's a whole separate section for ranged combat. Uh, that's because it's harder to defend yourself with a ranged weapon, so that initial d20 roll has less uh, modifiers or options on it, and that's it. Otherwise, it's the same crap. And you use the ranged modifier t- uh, or ma- ranged combat rules for spells, which in this game are called Daisha. Daisha are powered by Aisho. Uh, okay, those, the- so let me let me just take a second here and talk about the magic system of Joru. Oh, please, thank God. <laughs> Pass me some chocolate. <laughs> so. In this game, you've got the Muadra, are one of the races. They're the tiny humans. That is chocolate. Uh, so the, Mo- the Muadra, uh, in exchange for being tiny humans, uh, are more in tune with the mystical energy of Jorun. So there's a whole bunch of weird radioactive crystals and shit in this uh, world. But the radiation doesn't hurt you, it's just a weird energy source. It's their sciency way of explaining magic. So, uh, as we talked about the stats, you have a couple weird ones. One of them is color, and the color is how... Y- <laughs> Lol. I don't see color, so I don't know what my stat is. Uh, but your color rating is... Your ability to be in tune with that energy. So even humans and Bacord can, like, understand the energy of the world and see how it affects their weather patterns and so on. Uh, so color is sort of the magic perception. Aisho is your magic inner strength. So it's how adept you are at shooting fireballs. Or if you're a human or a bockord, how adept you are at not getting hit by fireballs. So you've got those stats. Those are the important ones if you're going to be Kaji, which is just a spell caster. And the Madra use Daishas that are split into nine different groups that are named after the moons of Jorun. Each moon has a 
different thing that it's themed around, although most of the themes tend to boil down into shooting fireballs. It's all orbs. Yeah. It's all orbs and spears and, and walls and, and, and stunning bolts. It's basically, you know, it, it's very similar in, in terms of the overall effect of the, sha- of the Shadowrun magic system. Which yeah. Shadowrun is like a million things you could do with your spells, but it's all just shoot orb. Shoot orb of what? Uh, stun or not stun. Okay, great. That's what it is. It's a lot of that. So yeah. each, each one of these nine moons has a color, and each one also has five or so daishas, which is the different spells they can do. And so basically the only really important ones outside of these are the ones that do attack abilities is you have a cup, like two support ones, so you'll have a healing moon and then a support magic moon, and then you have a moon that's mostly there for, like, debuffs, so you might make a guy dizzy or... Spin in circles? That's spin, a Spin around. There's, well, there's literally a spell that makes a guy spin and has a calculation for how many revolutions per second he spins at. Yeah. <laughs> so... So if that makes it sound like, since the only people in this game who can cast are little weenie guys that are, like, three and a half to four feet tall and their spells make people spin in place, if that makes it sound like this is a breakfast cereal commercial simulator RPG... <laughs> It, it, it actually kind of is. I, they put a bunch of fantasy names on it, but don't get yourself wrong. You're playing as a Keebler elf, and you're trying to steal cookies from the uh, from the big bad wolf. Yeah, I am cuckoo for Aisho Puffs. <laughs> so, so you, if you're trying to learn how to use Daishas, you will probably use a Bokord who is a, a Hishtin. Silly Bokord. Daishas <laughs> are from Wadra. <laughs> So, Hishtins are Bokord that are good at taking spells on the chin. Oh, yeah, because uh, Bokord are so full of anti- Remember my theory earlier that as you <laughs> shrink as a human, you, you vent all your anti-magic reserves. Well, uh, Bokords are just loaded with anti-magic. They're, they're, they're about a foot taller than humans because they're just so dense with anti-magic. <laughs> so they can play as Hishtins, which are just concentrated, walking around, no spells here type guys. Yeah, and it's... There, so humans and Bokord cannot cast spells, period. You just can't do it. No dice for you. Yeah. So, but what you can do is... You see what makes Cinnamon Toast Crunch so great. <laughs> you can follow your nose. <laughs> so, as a human or a Bokord, <laughs> you, you, can, you can have a chance to just disable a spell that hits you. So... Some dude shoots a bolt of paralyzing ray thing at you, and you can roll your Aisho stat plus whatever the fuck, and maybe uh, you just take it on the chin and nothing happens. Right. Hishton tested, Kaji approved. Yeah. Uh, I'm not done with cereals yet. (laughs) However, uh, you cannot do that as a Mwadra. However, as a defensive action... You can attempt to unravel someone's spell, so you can try and basically do a counter spell to what they're doing, but that would take a color test to mm-hmm. see if you can tell what moon Daisha they're casting, mm-hmm. and then you can do... use the proper color to block. Yeah, and there are nine colors of block. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh each moon has a color associated yes, with it, it as well. For example, dew is the amber moon of healing energies. Okay, and not only that, but you can see auras, 
And if you can see someone's aura, the aura has different colors, and the colors are representative of different things. (laughs) I want to talk about cereals now. (laughs) (laughs) What we're trying to say is that there are nine moons, and they are represented by nine different colors. You've got uh, pink hearts... <laughs> Green clovers, red balloons. <laughs> all right, okay, okay. So, all the animals on this planet are. Fa- oh, sorry. Let's finish up with spells real quick. Let's just get okay. that out of the way. So, you shoot bolts and shit at things and see if you hit them. It's just like having arrows or uh, or rocks to throw. You just throw your bolt of stunning at the bakor, yeah. and if he if he fails to unravel it, then he is briefly stunned and he gets mad at you. Now, every weapon, including every offensive spell, has its own chart for what damage you could do. Yes. So let's say you manage to get through all four steps before you roll to see if you do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, I actually hit you. I got through your armor. You didn't defend. This is amazing. All right. Now you roll 2d6 mm-hmm. and add something, depending on whatever your weapon is, and compare it against a chart. Which means it's really hard to hit someone, but if you happen to roll, say, an 11, and you're using a battle axe, you just kill them. Like, they just die. You go to death on the chart, and grats, they're dead now. It does have a lot of stuff in the book, uh, a lot of descriptions that say that combat on this planet is rarely fatal, and that people usually just fight till they're losing, and then they try to run away or they give up. But if you look at the chart, the chance to killing someone is basically random. Like, you can throw a rock at them and accidentally kill them. Yeah, like, very some, easily. Yeah, some weapons will have a high end that doesn't end in death. So instead of getting a fatal wound, it'll be like, this tops out at critical. Right. So you won't kill them. But if you're using most of the Daishas, the spells have a death rating you can get to. And anything like sword, battle axe, any of your standard weapons, if you roll well on that damage roll, you just kill a guy. Which is great for you as a character, but they're using the same chart against you, which means some cougar man runs up to you and bites you and happens to just roll really well and now your character is dead. End of that. There's no way to get out of it. This game doesn't have oops points or brownie points or anything like that. You just you just die. And there's, there's, there's no and the healing magic isn't a D&D heal magic where like oh, no. oh I automatically give you some hit points or I res a guy. It's like you heal well, slightly faster. Yeah, I align yeah. your chakras, and now you're going to heal, you know, twice as fast as you normally would to only be in the hospital for three months. Chakra alert. This game mentions chakras. Of course it does. This is a super hippie, I can see auras. Crystals and, and these aliens were in tune with the natural oh God, wave so of were. the planet. Okay, so the, the, the planet that you're on was originally inhabited by a race called the Shantas. Uh, the the Shasta? The Shasta? I think it was the Diet Shasta? Yeah, the Fantas. They were the Fantas. (laughs) There was all these, like, uh, racially diverse chicks in miniskirts. Yeah, that's That's, who was there. That was who was there. So the Shantics or the Shantas or something like that. Shantha. 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 So Shanthas look like turtles without their shells. They're basically seven feet tall. They've got weird, no eyes, heads that are... They're like really tall E.T. Oh, yeah, really tall. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Stretched out brown eyeless penis aliens is what, <laughs> what, what, you, what you've got. Um, uh. And they are very in tune with nature. They are basically all druidy. They are aware of the colors of magic, but they don't view them as tools. They view them as, like, life force or whatever because they are noble savages. 
Um, oh yeah, this is the beginning history section of this. Pretty much plays out like you're just watching Avatar. Yeah, yeah, very much. You're watching Avatar, Last Samurai, or Fern Gully, or whatever. <laughs> Take your pick. They're all the same goddamn yeah. movie. Uh, and this game is like, oh, there's these aliens, and they're in touch with nature, and they're very gentle and forgiving, and they let the humans come and live here, and then we 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 cruelly kill them all and drive the few remaining into caves where they live in fear of us. Yeah, we began digging too deep and too greedily and burning down forests, because, you know, that's what we do. And they cried a single tear from their spirules or whatever, because they don't have eyes. And then they then they uh, attempted to fight us back, but failed, and then we destroyed them all. And now a few remaining live in rock-strewn sections of Montana, and they have a casino, probably. <laughs> and, you know, as a player, you might want to seek one out for their wisdom and how very in touch they are with everything, and yeah. it's super amazing. They're, they're so much better than we will ever be, because... They don't have fluoride in their water, and there are no chemtrails. I hear Steven Seagal is one-eighth Shantha. <laughs> Confirm I'm, or deny? Yeah, I am one-sixteenth of the Shanthic tribe. God damn it, I want my money. Where <laughs> is it? So uh, so that's what the Shantha are. They are thinly veiled Native American stereotypes by way of crazy future human alien monsters. Yeah. Um, otherwise, the races in this game tend to... Suffer. There's a there's something I used to talk about back in the day about elves in Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and I called it the poop elf phenomenon, which is that anytime any elf walks away from any other elf, by the time they reconnect, they have split into two new sub races, because <laughs> because the game just had elf fever and it needed to have an elf for everything. So uh, so if you if an elf goes, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. By the time he gets back, he is the progenitor of a race of poop elves. Well, this book's got that in spades. Every other race that you can play as or encounter is basically a human gone wrong. It's a human that was living out in the woods somewhere and became a human living out in the woods somewhere archetype of a new race. Yeah, so maybe, you know, you got the Bocord and the Moadra, like we've mentioned, the big or the little humans. Right, but then every other city in the game is populated by human variants. Oh, yeah. They're like, what are you? I'm a thriddle. What's a thriddle? Oh, I lived far enough away from you for long enough that I became really tiny and developed a technique of speaking lots of languages. Ah, yes, and I have spent my life with the thriddle kill cult. Yeah. Yeah. God damn you. <laughs> it's happening. Uh. <laughs> Hold me, kiss me, thriddle me, kill me. <laughs> okay, so... Thriddle me this, Batman! <laughs> okay, that's the last one. It's still going. <laughs> I'm sorry! The thriddler. <laughs> So Thriddles are little tiny language speakers, and then you've got, like, Croids and Blounts and Waffins and all these Ugh. other... They're just, what are you? I'm dogish, or I, I live in the woods, or I'm a lizard. Uh, they all speak their own fancy languages, which are all described using really weird terms. Like, this language is thick and chewy. <laughs> like, they speak nougat? What's, what's happening? <laughs> Snickers. <laughs> don't get... Don't you start. So, uh... Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of... Everything else is just fantasy humans from 3,500 years in the future of 100 years from the future of now. That's how you get to this game. Well, yeah. I oh, mean, it, it takes place 3,000 years in the future, and as we all know, 3,000 years ago, there were, you know, 20 different types of humans, and then we all just killed them off. We came back together, <laughs> and then we split apart it's, again. It's on a 3,000-year cycle. cycle. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. This game's kind of bad. There's <laughs> monsters in this game all have fancy fantasy names. You've got Thombos and Bitchorens and, <laughs> and Klingons. And, yeah, Wibwabs. <laughs> it's just 
Everything and the funny thing is, there's not a lot of art. In so, they, so they all sound like British candy. Then, uh, yes, I'd like a wibwob, please. Ooh, <laughs> it's delicious. It's aerated. <laughs> ah, yeah, take that. Nobody that listens to this in England. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be great if England heavily played Skyrim? <laughs> this was the role playing game. Of oh yeah. England. Oh yeah. England is all about the Skyrims of Joe Rune. <laughs> Get home, have some tea, play some Skyrealms. I say, Nigel, my Kachi has learned to do Daisha. Oh, uh, <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> really? That's funny, because my Haji learned a new color. Oh! Oh, oh, oh. oh no! <laughs> this game is... Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> so, yeah. Basically, if you ever want to level up in this game, you can't steal the Shalari's Colbrunet, which is the word for pizza in the book. <laughs> Actually, no. Jeff's Pizza Watch, pizza is not mentioned in this book. Yeah. Because it was written around 1980, and pizza hadn't been invented yet. Pizza, as everyone knows, invented in 1982 by Kevin... uh or by Eastman, <laughs> No, it was Eastman and Laird. Yeah. Eastman and Laird invented pizza, and then it was cruelly stolen by Kevin Symbieta, who claimed credit for it in the editorial notes of his book. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Although uh, it does it does ask that you be nice to your Sholari... <laughs> Yeah, you have to be nice to your Shalari or he's going to go all crazy on your planet. Yeah, man. Oh, wait, that's, that's, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, I, I'm thinking of, uh, Mimbari. <laughs> Aren't I? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm thinking of Peter Scolari. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> that's Peter Scolari. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking I had scoliosis. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> okay. Uh, John, would you play this game? Good lord, no. Could you I play don't... this game? That's the thing, is not only... Does this game's stupid sci-fi bullshit names make me want to bitch slap the guy who wrote this? Which, I'm sure he is a lovely human being, and I'm sure he's the nicest guy that's ever lived. But the second that a thief is called a Getherin, I'm gonna kick you in the nuts. I have way more tolerance than you do for goofity-ass names. To me, that... Not to not to name-check the podcast, but to me, memorizing a bunch of goofity-ass na- names counts as system mastery. If you know what a Githerin is, then you're slowly becoming more and more adept in the game. And uh, even if it's, you know, bullshit uh, frippery like that, at least you're still kind of developing this sense of, yeah, this is my game. I know what the fuck <laughs> a Condridge is, and you don't. But, uh, but yeah, no, you, I, you get to be all smug as yeah. soon as you know all the, the words, because then you can go to your game and spout this stupid crap that we've been saying, but do it unironically. Oh my god. Okay. Let's, let's boil down to the real questions that we always end our podcast with. John, what are your most and least favorite things about Sky Realms of Joe Rune? Okay. So, my least favorite thing in a laundry list of least favorite things I, I'm i going to have, as much as I've bitched about the names for things, I'm going to go with the XP system. It is really, really bad. The fact that you can, like I said, just go throughout your character's life and never get good at anything. I mean, and it's not even, oh, well, it takes a week of game time and maybe you spend so many times in-game and it doesn't go through a week or whatever. Even beyond that, you might just fail your role. Again, and again, and again. And never learn. And never learn to learn. And the the problem with this is, we didn't even mention it, in the errata, they change it. So it's no longer on a week-by-week in-game basis uh, on if you use the skill at all. It then changes on how much you used the skill in what type of scenario. So if you did 
heavy use in a scenario where it was you were under pressure, then maybe you'll get to roll once every two months of oh, in-game time. Right. But instead of getting, like, one-eighth of a point, you'll actually go up one point. But it, if you're just like, I'm using this regular, I'm, like, I am a tailor. I fix clothes as a profession. Every single day, I am doing this. Well, when are you going to get to roll to see if you get better at that? About six months from now, you can roll to see if you're better. And I... Yeah, the XP system in this, it just makes it feel really punishing. And as a character, when you look forward to, like, I'm so close to, you know, level five, I'm going to get muh, and you know there's this anticipation of becoming better, getting either a new toy to work with, or just seeing a stat go up, or better at a skill. Here it's like, it's almost been a week of game time, I can roll to see if I get an eighth of a point in something. I didn't, okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah. We, we had this problem way back when we talked about Marvel superheroes, which I don't even think we put that podcast on the air. <laughs> but we talked about Marvel superheroes, which has that same issue of you can gain XP and eventually you can use them to uh, to buy your way into higher level characters. But uh, it's stupid high. It's, like, impossible. You have to gain so much XP to buy that little tiny rank of whatever it is you're trying to do that you just don't. Yeah. Uh, so, the XP system is definitely going to be my least. All my right. most favorite is... <sighs> I gotta pick something. Let's go ahead and say it's the setting. Not the words for the setting, but at least, like... You have a thought-out setting. You didn't just decide it was, you know, a fantasy world zero one because you came out when basically the only game anyone knew was D and D. Yeah, and you didn't just make a D and D clone, and even then, you didn't make just a sci-fi clone or anything like that. You did it. I mean, it at least puts effort into being its own world. I may think that world is full of stupid bullshit. But I appreciate that it tried to do something different. And even nowadays, you'll still see things that are like, just the same old fantasy setting, sci-fi setting, whatever. What are the dwarves called here? Yeah. So, the fact that, like, there aren't dwarves in this. There aren't elves in this, really. Like, it really broke away from that, and I do appreciate the setting for doing that. Yeah. Dun uh, Role-playing games that existed when this book came out. I don't have a comprehensive list. I'm sure it's a lot more than that, but I know it included Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Traveler, uh, <laughs> and there you go. This game came out really, really early. Uh, there's some there's some other role-playing... I think I actually have a couple. Middle-Earth role-playing, I know that came out back then. There was a DC Heroes game that came out during that point, uh, before that point. So there were a couple games out there. But yeah, all right. My least favorite thing about this game is the skill system. The skill system... Not the XP engine part of it. Uh, I hate that too, but I need to say something different. The skill system is one of those unnecessarily drilled down skill systems. Like when you get into wilderness skills, there's four or five different ones that specifically relate to being able to extract a specific tendon from a specific alien animal. Oh yeah, like, you oh, can't man. just have leather working. No, oh, it's, no. Like, it's like you have to have like extract bakrot because the mighty flying krill sometimes when they die they have a bakrot that you can use for things. But if you don't extract it correctly, it will qu quickly crystallize into useless goo. So you need yes, to have a skill it crystallizes roll. into goo. I, I don't care. <laughs> I, 
I don't care and neither do you. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of that. Every skill... Oh, oh, my favorite thing in the skill section. I wish I had it in front of me so I could just read it out loud. But but, uh, under entertainment skills, the first sentence in entertainment skills is... uh, (laughs) Skills in this section will be of no use to players. (laughs) And then it goes on to list them. Dancing and singing and artistry, artistry and carrying about. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that was good. Yeah, it's really good. These are useless. Here they are. <laughs> that's right. quite a that's quite a dramatic statement to make too. This is a world where singing is of no value. I don't know if you know this, but if you can paint, you're worthless. You know what? That that rules it out of being the number one game of England. I think <laughs> right there. If you can't carry on in such a fashion as Oscar Wilde, then you can <laughs> No, wait. <laughs> stiff upper lip is an entirely uh, different skill. Yeah, you're skill. right. You're right. Okay, there's a whole stiff upper lip skill set. So my least favorite thing is that. I like skills that are a little broad and that you can use for a variety of things so that you don't have to really pay that much attention or have that big of a skill sheet. Uh, my favorite thing about this game... Ugh. <laughs> ha ha, now it's your turn. Ugh, damn it. Uh, I am going to go... <laughs> he took the good one. <laughs> Fuck you. I like the magic system. Oh, I, I really? like it. I like it just fine. I like that they decided to go somewhere, somewhere different than just abjuration, conjuration, illusion, and that there's a lot of room to kind of futz with your spells and throw more than one of them and combine them into interesting, like, uh, spells combos. It, it's not... It's poorly designed and, you know, it boils down to hippity moon nonsense, but... <laughs> But overall, it boils even further down to shoot bolts and beams. And honestly, if you were to strip this game down to just the magic system, it would make a pretty good Green Lantern simulator. Yeah, there you, you go. Got, you got nine colors, and you shoot beams of the nine colors at each other, and you could use that to play Lantern Core. Wee! Everyone's a Muadra Lantern. Huh. Okay. So, uh, John, I already asked you if you would play this game. Um, no, the thing is, I... Well, I said I, I wouldn't. I also... I don't know that I could. No. Like, I literally said, I went through the combat system. I read the entire chapter on combat, still had no idea what was going on. Absolutely true. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest here, I would play this game. I would. I, I would sit down and try to play this game because playing it is itself a game. Uh, it, it's one of those things where when you're done, like, like building a ship in a bottle. If you, <laughs> if you can figure this, this irritating, impossible, difficult shit out, then you get such an unbelievable sense of accomplishment. Even if you only played it for like four hours, you'll be like, you'll be like, you know what? I played this game. I think they should make t-shirts that say that. <laughs> I, I survived Sky Realms of Joe Rune. I gained a skill point in Sky Realms of Joe Rune. Hooray. That means you must have played for several months. Oh, by the way. Why is it called Sky Realms of Joe Rune? Do we know? Uh, because they're weird floating rocks. Do that they matter? Don't matter in the least. Nope. Does, that, does anyone know what's up there? No. Does anyone go up there? No. No. There's a flying mount in this game. Uh, the flying mount can travel up to 37 miles a day. I forget what it's called. Uh, I, I'm uh, sure whatever. it's some fantasy word. Just, just insert your own. Uh, Tarmenthar. <laughs> yeah, uh, there they, you go. And they, they go as fast as horses. And they are, they're the only flying mounts. So you could use those to get up onto Sky Realms, which, if you've ever played any video game ever, they're floating islands. Yep. There's big rocky floating islands, and they're floating because of crystalline imbalances. Yeah, and all they do, as far as you're concerned as a player on Joe Rune, is occasionally there's gonna be a shadow over you as some fucking mountain flies past you. Right. 
Your Kefka's up there just causing hella problems, but <laughs> that's not you're you're not gonna go fix that. That's yeah, not what you. are you gonna do? Yeah. Okay. So uh that's what this game is. It's a science fiction combat doesn't work, spells kinda work, everybody's a human except for the turtle aliens. The the RPG and it's it's a mess. Do you have anything else you have final thoughts on this this bad no, boy? The uh Again, we're looking at one of the first editions of this, but even just the errata that they put out for the edition we looked at, it really improved the game. So, I mean, it made the stats make way more sense. Yeah. Uh, it cut down on uh, that one-eighth of a point. Instead, you just you roll less often, but you get a point when you get a point. Which is really nice, because frankly, that was just an untenable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you it, it improved the gameplay a lot. Uh, there were skill sets, so you could go, I'm going to buy points uh, and get military as a background. And it gives you a, like, you've got this rating and all of these skills plus whatever. So if you didn't want to, like, go through skill by skill and decide where your skill points went, uh, you could take a package, like, you get the sailor package. And yeah, you get the sailor package. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, this game broke our brains. <laughs> So, I don't know if later editions would be more playable, but, I mean, at least it seemed like they understood that their game was some stupid bullshit and were trying to correct for that. Yeah. Culpability big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, oh my God. This has been... (laughs) Kawookie Chris! (laughs) This this serial joke presented without comment. <laughs> okay, this has been System Mastery, the podcast where we discuss old role-playing games. Tune in in two weeks as we tackle our first John Wick project. We're going to read Legend of the Five Rings and bring you the tale of Samurai and Shugenja. <gasps> oh boy. Um, that's going to be a racist episode, I can already tell. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. For the record, that was John. I did not do that. (laughs) Send me hate mail. I was just thinking it. (laughs) If you want to send John racist hate mail... (laughs) Or regular hate mail. Or regular hate mail, you can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com, SystemMastery on Facebook, SystemMastery at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is SystemMastery. You get the idea. (laughs) Until next week, this has been Jeff and John. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 